There we go. Hello and welcome to another Quarren stream. I am, of course, Joe Magician. And today we're going to be doing something just, you know, a little bit different than we normally do rather than me going through a prepared uh, outline and reading a bunch of stuff. Instead, this will be more of a back and forth kind of stream. It's going to be kind of like an open question and answer thing. I have a whole bunch of questions here to go through. Uh, you guys can throw them through in the chat. There's actually a bunch came through from my patrons. Um, there's also a Twitter thread I put up where I talked about um, inconsequential mysteries people wanted answers to. It's like, all right, so we'll do those. And before we get started, um, I just wanted to mention everybody that all the proceeds from the stream are going to be donated to a few different funds. Uh, they're down in the description of the video of the stream itself. Um, these were recommended. I don't know if you know her, but uh, Christine Crippens, um, a wonderful person. And she had given the Learned Hands podcast, you know, Clinton Mary, a list of organizations that would help out um, Crip Kippens. I'm sorry. I always put the, the R in there. Um, she gave them some organizations to donate to that will help with a lot of the fights that will be upcoming with uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying last night. So all super chats, all that other kind of stuff will be donated after the stream. I'll take screenshots and post them up on Twitter or whatever for um, for what's what's the right word for um, verification, I guess. that Yes, I actually did that thing. Um, I would recommend if you are interested in giving those organizations, you can just give them directly and just tell me you did it or send them through PayPal. Um, because they take a far less substantial cut than YouTube if you just want the money to go straight to those organizations. So, <clears throat> if you guys saw that thread, I had quite a lot of responses. Um, so yeah, let's let's do this Q&A for the next two hours. We'll talk, we'll forget about what's going on in the world for just a little bit and descend into our nerdy, nerdy habits. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the first one here is from uh, Maester Mary of the Learning Head podcast. She said, I want to know the most embarrassing character you missed on the Song of Ice and Fire Sporkle. So I don't know if you guys saw this going around. It's I've seen it in a few different slacks, you know, posted in chat. But there's a Sporkle quiz where uh, it's you have to name the top 300 characters who are mentioned by name the most in the entire series. There's 300 of them. You got 20 minutes. Um, I got 148. Which I felt pretty good at until I saw the scores other people were getting. Um, but Mary wants to know which what were the most embarrassing ones I didn't get. Uh, she said, let me check the slack. She said the one she didn't get was Rob Stark. My most embarrassing one was Samuel Tarley and Gilly. I was sitting there the entire time trying to think of their names. And it actually got to the point where I was like, okay, but what what's the, what's Sam's girlfriend's name? And I still I hadn't even put in Sam yet. So I missed on Sam without him being, without even putting him into the quiz yet. And then I missed Gilly at the same time. That was just like a massive, massive fail. A lot of these characters too were like, I've never even heard of some of these. Like somewhere like Jamie Squire, every Night's Watch brother, because John tends to name them quite a bit. Uh, that was a, that was a really hard quiz. The highest I've seen was 180. I think uh, fandom villain Brendan Beefish got 180 or something like that. But yeah, that was the most embarrassing. Uh, let's, I saw some before we started, so let's grab a few questions from there. Um, <clears throat> a flinted seal, they said, we've seen here many times that children of the forest performed human sacrifice on the weirwoods dating back to the first men. Who did they kill before that? Seems culture enough to date back even before, um, FM. Not sure what FM means. 
Uh, so who were they? Oh, before the first men. Uh, I would imagine that a lot of times those kind of sacrificial things are not necessarily foreigners or people from outside your culture. A lot of times you'll see in ancient cultures that um, uh, nobility would be sacrificed or sometimes children or that kind of thing. So before the faceless men, it was probably the children of the forest sacrificing their own, which is kind of a kind of a bummer. But when you look back at a lot of these ancient cultures, that's kind of what happens. There's a really interesting, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, they're called the bog bodies in um, England or Ireland or something like that. Essentially what they would do is they would ritually kill the, oh, let me drop the quiz again. They would ritually kill essentially their chiefs or the leaders of their society, whatever it is, and then just drop them into these uh, bogs and the bodies ended up super preserved. So it's not necessarily the, like the faceless, I mean, the first men sacrificing or the children of four sacrificing for, uh, first men. It's probably, um, probably a lot of the same. Oh yeah. A slam that like button. Hey, Chrissy of Oldstones. Bernie's here. Um, Muzzy Aminu, Nicola Yurkin, Lady uh, Rosalie Valarion. Yeah, but it was just the naughty children. Flinted Steel. Oh yeah, there's your question. Uh, Aaron M, Guilty Undertaker, Lemmy B. Oh, a lot of you guys here today. Again, I hope your hangovers are subsiding slightly. It was a pretty rough night. Oh, Lady Leaf, how's it going? Um, so yeah, they were the children were probably sacrificing their own. Maybe animals, but most of the time, um, when you go that far back, it, it was probably sacrifice of your own. Uh, the it's sort of this the idea of the stronger the sacrifice, the more you give up, the stronger the effect would be, or something like that. Like that in that scene, that scene where Bran looks back and he sees the woman slitting the throat of the uh, the guy, and that's called in the Song of Ice and Fire app watering <laughs> the weird with blood. Uh, that could easily be a member of House Stark that was being sacrificed by a old god priestess. There's no reason to think they just grabbed a random person. Sacrificing royalty or or special blood in some way is very important usually. I mean, we even see that in the current time with Melisandre with her idea of King's blood. All right, let's grab another one. Uh, you guys can just shout these out, by the way. I mean, I have a big list that I grabbed from those, um, from Patreon and the patron Slack and Twitter and YouTube, but you know, whatever you guys want to talk about, we'll do that today. So I'm also kind of low energy today. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how that goes. Um, Amy Blackfire says, since making your video about Andrew Farman, are you more or less convinced that he did not work alone? More convinced. Um, I don't know that George has essentially set up the scenario where he's removed all the normal possibilities for, well, how did Andrew do this? It's like, well, he's not very smart. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He can't read or write. He can't, he has no access to money or anything. Because, um, because his wife, I gotta forget her name, um, Queen and Andrew Farman married to Raina. Raina didn't essentially treat him like a servant. He would not have access to money. So how did he end up doing this? Um, I'm not sure on, um, Jaehaerys. I do think that, um, Rogar Baratheon still a very strong possibility for that, even though I think I built a pretty good case for why Jaehaerys would want his sister dead. Um, I, I really don't see with how George has described Andro and set up the scenario that you're not supposed to think that he had significant help with acquiring the poison and figuring out how to go about it so that he was able to, um, kill the people he wanted to basically. Oh, I also forgot to mention, we got uh, two, uh, PayPal donations for the stream went live. 
uh, Danny McCave with uh, $5, and Ramona uh, Zamfir sent 10 So thank you guys very much. That will get donated after the stream. Um, some coin, can anyone chat confirm or deny Joe's involvement in the channel Savage Books? No idea what that is. So deny. I'm denying I'm a part of whatever that is. I've never heard of it. But yeah, I, I definitely think, um, I, I don't think there's really a plausible explanation for how Andrew did it on his own. All the ways that, especially because it's noted he, he had a rare, expensive and hard to get poison. So it's kind of like the whole thing with, um, the cat's paw where it's not, surprising that somebody tried to kill uh bran with a dagger you know but it's surprising he did it with a valyrian steel dagger it's kind of the same thing going on where it's such an unusual tool and it doesn't match who was using it that you have to wonder who put that weapon in their hand <clears throat> oh the andro video is your favorite well thank you i really enjoyed looking we're working on that one doing a little murder mystery was a lot of fun yeah it's a good point also um Marieko says, you also had a lot of poison. Yeah, a lot of poison. Uh, he had the had enough to kill like, what, four or five people? Something like that. So it's not even like he had a little bit. That's a lot of money somebody spent buying all that poison. And he also didn't make it because it only comes from Liss. I think it's the tears of Liss he used. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, from the patron slack, Nessie the Questing Beach, Beast, who's also here as well. Uh, why did no one ever attempt to ride Silverwing after she flew off to the island in Red Lake? It's a perfectly good and fairly young dragon sitting there that's had more than one rider and she's never mentioned again. <clears throat> so, um, good question. Why did nobody go after Silverwing? I, I imagine it has to do with the whole island part. Um, even approaching the dragons on Dragonstone where you could literally just kind of walk up to them if you felt like it. Like you could just take a hike and go see sheep stealer or cannibal if you were like crazy enough to do it. Um, being on an island in the middle of Red Lake means it's like already kind of dangerous and if things go wrong you can't get away. So if you want to go claim Silverwing, you'd have to be pretty sure it wasn't going to kill you like right away. Like, <laughs> um, which is definitely not guaranteed with the different dragons. So it's probably just that, um, if you wanted to claim a dragon, it would be one of the more difficult ones. And when it's already difficult enough and already dangerous and quite a lot of the, like the dragon seeds uh, died trying to do it, you can see maybe why they didn't. Oh, Nessie was wondering if there was a political reason. Um, hmm. In Red Lake, so that's in the Reach, uh, House Crane's Land. No, I don't, I don't really think there's probably a political reason. I think it's just like, it's a really dangerous, risky thing to do. And if you wanted to find a dragon, you could probably do it easier than growing out into the middle of a lake and essentially going on a suicide run to try and get it. That would be, that'd be my idea for maybe why Silverwing never came up, but that doesn't mean George can't use Silverwing again. We know in Fire and Blood he introduced a lot of new stuff, particularly with uh, the Sons of the Dragon and Shaharis and Alisane even retcon some stuff. So maybe in Fire and Blood 2 or somewhere in there, Silverwing will pop up again. You know, he's not done with those stories. Um, so that would be my thought on that. It'd be cool if Silverwing popped up again, um, but yeah, just really hard, really hard to tame a dragon, especially going to an island for it. Um, let's see here. Oh, you guys are talking about bog buddies still? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of those, it's one of those really interesting things from history I found about the bodies are super well preserved. Often they still have the hair on them. They're recognizable. Sometimes they find their, um, their last meals still in their stomachs. Uh, a lot of times they can be mistaken for essentially being recently dead. This is actually something that came up in the Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you guys remember that scene where 
Frodo falls into the water and um and there's a bunch of like white ghost things that attack him but before he does he sees like a perfectly preserved body sitting in the bog and that happens because there's not a lot of oxygen in that water because of the way bogs are because um so there's no microbes so therefore the bodies don't break down very much so yeah those are pretty interesting um which also is a fun fact that since some of those bogs get turned into over time it's like peat and stuff like that people i bet some amount of like peat colons that have been burned and stuff like that is just like straight up bodies um <laughs> if you ever want to look them up there's some really good documentaries on bog bodies really interesting things um let's see here a Dornish Dame asks, what do you think happened to Daron the Drunkards and Arian Brightflame's children that were rejected by the Great Council? Um, there's some ideas that Arian Brightflame and um, his children are the origins of young Griffin the story. That he is a Targaryen, just like not the one he says he is. That instead he's a Brightflame. Um, I would guess um, since I think that child's from Essos, I think it was Magor Targaryen, another Magor, goddammit. I imagine he went back to Essos and um, that's kind of that's kind of where they stayed. A lot of Targaryens ended up doing that. There's a surprising amount of like, quote unquote, true born Targaryen blood. If you just don't follow the patrilineal lines that ended up in Essos and one of the Valyrian daughters. Um, as for Daron the drunkard's daughter, I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, that's one of those another one of the female characters that George kind of forgot. Um, like there's a question later on about another one like what happens to this person no idea george just kind of lets these characters go but there's certainly a possibility that we may see daron's daughter if um duncan egg progresses like if he's going to write a story about aegon's ascension or afterwards you'd have to imagine maybe she's still at court maybe she, she just never married we also know that like aegon um or egg had two sisters with children that she apparently sang to aim and talks about it and completely off screen never to be seen again so who the hell knows what happened to him <clears throat> i don't really know um we'll see if george ever makes it up <clears throat> i don't know if he will we'll see but yeah that, that would be if i had to guess if they are relevant at all it would be through essos um aegon bright flame yeah that's that's the name of the theory um young griff bright flame uh some people trace it through Damon Blackfire's daughter who married Bittersteel and they and they say that's where young Griff comes from if he's a real Targaryen um this is another one young Griff bright flame or just that he's nobody or he's just a Valyrian that isn't a Targaryen uh there's a lot of different possibilities each one comes with its own um positives and negatives in terms of like storytelling like having Arian pop up again and sort of the weird anger that Young Griff displays when he's talking to Tyrion and his rashness sort of seems like Arian Brightflame. Like if you want to say that like that's like a congenital trait that got passed down through his children. Supposedly <clears throat> they had some reason for thinking Magor, I mean, uh, yeah, Magor was kind of a shithead and they didn't want him on the throne. So perhaps um, the the Young Griff Blackfire idea obviously works because apparently uh, Bittersteel has been holding back the sword and while he was for Damon Blackfire, he was obviously somebody that was legitimized as well for the Iron Throne. So you could say that maybe he hijacked Damon's legacy and then got a lot of his kids killed in these ill-fated rebellions. Um, but I, I don't know. I tend to think that it's more likely that uh, Young Griff is nobody rather than um, 
rather than a bright flame or a black fire or a Targaryen, but all of them have their own uh, positives and negatives, I would say. <clears throat> this is now the bog body stream. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now let me drink some water. Something wrong with my throat. <laughs> um, Muzi says, honestly, my tinfoils, Matt and Germ are the same person. I've never seen them together in the same room. When Matt puts on the hat, that one, 150 likes if we get there. Uh, no, that's 175. Wizard hat, 150. <laughs> There's elements is uncanny. Um, do I look like Gurm? I don't think so. There's a lot of old pictures of him out there and they are not. Well, I don't have George's fashion sense to say the least. And he had, uh, well, we both have crappy facial hair. So kind of maybe both on the uh, heavier side too. Hmm. Am I Gurm? I don't think so. That'd be quite a twist. Uh, Nick DeLuca says when leaving Valyria, why didn't the Targaryens bring more information like how to tame the dragons, how to breed and Valyrian steal with them in books so they would uh, use so they wouldn't lose this information. I think you skipped a word there, but I'm going to guess that's what you're saying. So they probably did for quite some time. They were hatching new dragons for a long time. Um, they knew how to tame them. Obviously, a lot of the early Targaryens, even the Valarians were able to tame dragons and hatch eggs. Um, it's probably that Baylor, actually, as I said, that girl Nettles in the chat did says the same thing that Baylor, the blessed probably burn the records of how to do it because he seems to be afraid somehow of the dragons returning. Uh, me and Crowfoot's daughter talked about this in our videos and live streams where it appears that Baylor was following prophecy in his own way, like the three heads of the dragon, that kind of thing. And instead of embracing it like so many Targaryens did, it looks like he feared it and then burned all the information and refused to pass it along to the next generation. So it kind of didn't get passed on. But also, if you want to think about it in terms of like, how do you make Valyrian steel? Well, the hint is that you make Valyrian steel by, um, if you follow the Azor Ahai um, story about stabbing somebody through the chest, you know, only death can pay for life, magic, their magic being based on blood magic, that kind of thing. That you probably had to sacrifice somebody to make Valyrian steel, not and maybe even to rework it. Like we don't know exactly what Tobomot did to reforge um, ice into into Widow's Whale and also Oathkeeper, but I don't know. Maybe he kidnapped an orphan from the streets of King's Landing and sacrificed them to rework the steel. As apparently not everybody can do it. I think Tywin says there's only three smiths, so. There's also the possibility that they were afraid to do that stuff again because they had just seen like the Valyrian Empire explode. The volcanoes erupted. Everything they knew was gone. And it could have been sort of a, wow, maybe we should, um, maybe we should rethink all that blood magic, like magical empire sort of thing that we are doing and like the horrible systems of slavery and exploitation that propped it up. So it could go both ways where it's like a little gun shy on their own magic afterwards. But also um, it appears that Baylor, the blessed, got rid of any of the knowledge that they had. And then the maesters maybe got rid of the rest or or specific maesters went out of their way to destroy it. <clears throat> uh, Dornstein says, I wonder how much dragon info is left over from Baylor's purge. Um, this is one of those like lost book things that I'm, I will always love thinking about. Um, if anything escaped Baylor's purge, it would be the stuff that's far away from him. So obviously, um, let's say Castle Black would be a good place for that. Winterfell, maybe Dorne, places where the Iron Throne's authority was pretty wanting and they didn't really give a shit what the king said. They just kind of did their own stuff. So those would be the regions and parts of Westeros that 
this information, if it was written down and copies were distributed somewhere, that they would have survived. Obviously, also, uh, maybe in the Citadel, they have their super secret vaults. A lot of people have suggested that uh, Jack and Hagar, his mission in uh, Old Town in the Citadel is to go retrieve dragon knowledge that the maesters have hidden away. But yeah, anywhere that anywhere that there's like low Iron Throne authority in Westeros, especially because it's such a big place, like even if they got, let's say, so Baylor sends out a, like a letter to all the maesters in the realm saying, if you have these books, you have to burn them. Maester gets the letter, says, no, never mind, throws it in the fire and then puts the book somewhere more secure so that nobody can find it. Okay. But there's nothing Baylor can do about that. Oh yeah, good call, Isabel Harper. Dorn was an under King Baylor, so yeah, Dorn's another good place that if there was any sort of dragon knowledge that had been passed around, they would have it. Uh, some Clint says, did Valyria explode because they threw a bunch of dragon eggs in a volcano? Oof, why did it explode? So, just like at a base level, they built their civilization on 13 volcanoes. Probably more than that, like they called the Westeros the Seven Kingdoms, but it's more like eight sometimes nine. Um, they say there were 13 volcanoes in the Valyrian Peninsula, giant ones, ones that were active. So like the fact that they did explode is it shouldn't really be. Oh, 14 flames. I'm sorry. Um, the fact that they did explode at some point is like you'd expect it. That's kind of how volcanoes work. Um, it said they were holding them back with sorcery. And I believe in the world of ice and fire, there's an explanation given that all the like fire mages or blood mages that controlled the spells that stopped them from exploding were all killed in like quick succession or all in one night and afterwards the volcanoes all exploded thereby killing them um with the with the uh kindly man essentially taking credit for it in aria's chapters you can put it together that the cause of the doom of Illyria was probably uh the faceless men killing a bunch of these sorcerers if that's what's happened but i mean also they're just volcanoes there's nothing more powerful on the earth than the earth itself. So the fact that at some point their spells failed or they just got unlucky is like really not that surprising. Uh, we don't really know why a dragon. I don't know why a dragon egg would explode if it's like a bomb or something like that. I've heard theories to that effect. I'm not really not really sure about that one. It's, it's a cool idea. I just I don't know. Um, the idea that the sorcerers were systematically killed all at once in a mass assassination just kind of, that seems to make some sense. Yeah, it's a rather odd coincidence. Um, that's true. Also, there's, there's a question I got that somebody asked, like, what happened at um, Hardhome? Why did Hardhome explode? Uh, it was a similar sort of thing where, like, two or three hundred years earlier, Hardhome was, like, developing to be a city and all of a sudden... It supposedly exploded and the city was wiped off the map and it's like just a bunch of hovels and the like the tiny remains of what it used to be. I mean, like it was beyond the wall. It wasn't like a big majestic city, but for the wildlings, it was um, again that some people have said that that was like maybe the faceless men doing a test run and they detonated a dragon egg then. Or if you believe in other crazy things, there's other explanations, but also like Westeros is a active volcano region there are quite a lot of volcanoes in the area um the dra the, the presence of obsidian and dragon glass everywhere tells you that westeros beyond just dragonstone is a um an active volcanic region so sometimes that just happens sometimes a um like in uh, sometimes a volcano just erupts out of nowhere and just wipes everything out but it also could have been something like um a massive slave raid that destroyed the city 
or the town or whatever it was and just took everybody and then just afterwards said oh my god they all disappeared mysteriously like crow like um what is it the um the virginia settlement where they left the name roanoke where they left the name like croatoan in the woods and everyone like for years was like oh my god it was supernatural what happened to them and then they found out what actually happened is they just went and joined a um a nearby settlement because the um their colony was failing and they didn't have supplies it's like i think even like uh, american horror story did a um did a whole season on that the roanoke thing where they were like oh there was ghosts and it was a woods witch and it's like a crazy magical place and it's like fun no they just kind of left <laughs> and they they wrote the word to say where they were going uh yeah dragon lords uh coming by and just roasting the place with dragons sure why not um all sorts of explanations it doesn't have to be like something like an egg exploding and oh my god oh hang on a second i got a super chat here from uh sarah oh sasuke <laughs> twenty dollars uh glad to donate to something so important yeah thank you so much yeah by the way if, if you guys are coming in late any money i get from the stream i'm gonna donate to a few organizations they're down the uh link below or the description basically um oh thank you for the uh follow katie quinlan um yeah i'm gonna donate all the money from this to organizations uh from uh in Pippins and all that stuff uh let's let's grab some that i had from earlier um uh mighty isabel my follow my fellow a song of ice and fire mod asks what arians what do the what do arians books on the succession laws of dorne actually say so this is something that's come up quite a bit and that is basically that the succession for Dorne versus the rest of the Seven Kingdoms goes by firstborn or only firstborn primogeniture, no gender preference. Whereas the rest of Westeros goes by um, goes by um, male, basically male only. Well, I forget the exact term, but it's male only. Um, well, okay, let me say this again: Westerosi, normal Westerosi inheritance is it goes by. Um, I think I can't remember if it's cognatic or something like that, but essentially it means it's only men inheriting um, unless there are none. And then the oldest sister can inherit, basically. So um, Ariane, during her capture, the princess in the tower whole thing was given a bunch of books to read or there were a bunch of books there and some of them were on Dornish succession. So why would that matter to Ariane? Um, th there have been some tinfoil theories about this where they essentially said like, Oh, this is the key to overthrowing Westeros. You marry Aegon, but by Dornish law, therefore, the Martells will inherit the Iron Throne and not the Targaryens. Ha ha. Hold one over on you. Yeah, about that one. <laughs> yeah, it's male preference primogeniture. Good call. I think that's what it's called, Lady Leaf. Um, so why would that matter? Well, for one thing that Arianne was very concerned that Quentin was going to get um, Dorne over her. And that's one thing it could be to remind Ariane that no, you are not in danger. No, yes, you are. You are going to become the princess of Dorne, not your brother Quentin. She found some letter when she was younger and sent her down this really um, crazy path where she's like, oh, no, I'm not going to. Well, not crazy, but um, I won't. I'm going to be usurped by Quentin. It's that's that's kind of that's kind of all that's there. It's just that Dorne has a, a different succession law. I mean, it's not that surprising. Lots of different places. And I'm like, if you think about Dothraki's succession, it's sort of like, like a tribal meritocracy or kind of like a fight to the death sort of thing. Although it often does go 
father to son, not necessarily. Yeah, male preference. Yeah, last one standing succession for the Dothraki. Um, you talk about, what is it? Um, the Triarchs and Volantis. That is an elective succession rather than a hereditary one. So, you know, um, maybe that was Duran hinting to Arianne that like, hey, calm down. You're not, you're still going to be Princess of Dorne. Um, I, I don't, I don't really think much of the idea that like, there's going to be like this sneaky thing where the Dornish are going to marry Arianne to Viserys or now Aegon, I guess. And by getting to agree to Dornish law, then the children will become Martell. I was like, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's just a character point for, um, for Duran to be reminding Arya that like you're 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 okay you're safe it's okay oh yeah slam that like button we get up to uh, 150 throw on the old wizard hat 175 we'll put on the other one and this is the whole thing it's like it's like a big problem within Westeros itself where it's like oh no the we have to go strictly by inheritance and that like that doesn't happen all the time that happens in times of peace like Stannis says he's the legal heir good luck with that one. Renly says he's the heir by essentially having the biggest swords, which is like correct that that happens quite a lot. Um, Rhaenyra was the legal heir, didn't stop Aegon from rebelling and getting supporters. Same thing with uh, the Blackfire rebellions. It's like it's not just enough to be the quote unquote legal heir. You also have to be able to to essentially defend it by either controlling the armies or you have to control the power structures and. It's like when um, when Ned had the letter saying that he was the essentially Lord Protector of Joffrey, and then Cersei just tears the letter in half. Okay, well, Ned, you kind of you kind of botched that one. You had one part, you forgot the other. You need to have the um, kind of need to have both, and that that's where I think like the whole like Dornish master plan idea kind of falls down because it's like, in what world would the King of Westeros just like go like, all right, fine, I guess. I guess the Targaryens are out of power and the Matar and the Martells get it now, or even the rest of Westeros would even agree to that. Like children can choose which house they want to be a part of when they're both, especially when they're royalty. Um, but yeah, but yeah. The, what's the quote that um, Clint and actually not a castle. He says it's power on the wall. I mean, the shadow power is a shadow on a wall, not power on a wall. Wow. That's be weird. Um, but yeah, that's what I think about the succession laws of Dorne. Valyrian inheritance law was very confusing because on an on house to house level, it seemed to be um, oldest child inherits uh, male or female. But then we got to the empire level, the um, to who controlled the freehold. It was more of it was more elective. You kind of have to be able to balance the, the family inheritance versus the realm inheritance. It was essentially like the Holy, Holy Roman Emperor empire, basically. Actually, yeah. HRE, the Valyrian Empire. That makes a lot of sense now. Oh, George, power cords on the wall. <laughs> uh, I love when I misspeak in funny ways. Uh, let's grab another one. Um, Ghost in BK on Twitter. They said, "What book did Rhaegar read?" They guessed the Jade Compendium. They made him declare he needed to become a warrior. Um, so this is. I I, wrote, I made a whole video about this when I was talking about Aemon the Dreamer that I propose that there are a few different options for what Rhaegar read in his scrolls. If you guys don't remember, uh, when Rhaegar was growing up, he was this giant book nerd. Uh, people were worried he's going to be Baylor to Blessed Come Again. There were jokes that Rhaella had um, swallowed um, a bunch of books while she was uh, while she was pregnant in order to come out with such a uber nerd that is Rhaegar Targaryen. And then all of a sudden, 
He reads some scrolls and he walks out and says, I must be a warrior and gets trained to fight with the sword and to joust things he previously didn't give two craps about in the world. And um, people have been trying to puzzle out for a while. Well, what did he read that made him think that? Um, so one possibility, I guess the Jade Compendium could. It sort of seems to be like the Ur texts that a lot of the other prophecy magical books like it seems that Septim Barth probably based a lot of what he wrote on the Jade Compendium. Um, but it seems much more specific because Rhaegar didn't just think like, oh, this is going to happen. He thought it was me. He's like, oh, I'm the prince that was promised. I'm Zorhai. Come again. Okay. So, <clears throat> so what convinced him it was him and what convinced him he needed to become a warrior? Well, so there's a few things. One is we know that um, his ancestor, let's see here, Jaehaerys, no, I think it was Ares the, Ares the first or Jaehaerys the second. One of the two uh, was really, 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 really into magic and prophecy to the point that they essentially ignored everything else and they let Bloodraven run the realm for them because they were they had their nose buried in scroll all the times. Um, Egg talks about this where um, he's heard about prophecies from the ruling king at that time. Ares the first. I'm sorry. I knew it was one of the two. I always get them mixed up. They're kind of weird little wispy Targaryens um, who are strange guys. So we know that there is a history of um, there being these kind of prophetic scrolls and books or whatever hanging around King's Landing in the library. It wouldn't be that surprising if Rhaegar found them and also um, read them. Okay, so maybe it's that. Uh, another possibility is that there is a copy of <clears throat> Unnatural History or something else by Septon Barth. Uh, we know that um, Marwyn the Mage has found a scrap of one of those books and uh, he showed it to Roderick the Reader or he told Roderick the Reader he found it and read it. Uh, the other possibility is the um, Signs Importance, the book of prophecy written by uh, Danis the Dreamer who informed the Valyrians or uh, informed the Targaryens that the doom was coming and by the way we gotta we gotta get the hell out of here. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Signs Importance that Ares was reading and that's where he got them from. Um, and the other possibility, this is the one that I proposed, that was kind of a new one, is that Aemon spent quite a long time with Daron the Drunkard, who we know is actually a prophet. Like, he has legitimate uh, prophetic powers of the future, he can see it in his dreams, so therefore, um, if Aemon was with him for years, and we know that, and he's sort of, he sort of has a scientific mind, and he has a lot of interest in prophecy and magic, you'd, ex you'd assume that he would maybe, like, start keeping track of them or write some of them down or be like, okay, so Daron said this, this is what happened and try to like map out a system of how to use them or even just document what he's saying because it's like, it's legitimate magic in this world. So I would thought that maybe Rhaegar had found some of those notes and that's what inspired him to reach out to Aemon. He's like, oh my God, my uncle Maester or great uncle Maester, I found your notes about Daron. What, what happened here? Tell me about them. Um, and that was the basis of how they got talking. Any of those are, I think, pretty good um, possibilities. <clears throat> Obviously, I like the Aemon one best because Aemon's the best, but you know. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, Buck Bigler says in the chat, if Robert had known that his children were actually Jamie's, would he have disinherited him? If so, would he have supported Stanley, Stannis or Renly as his heir or legitimized one of his bastards? Um, I think he definitely would have disinherited all of his children. He probably would have had Cersei and Jaime arrested, maybe executed. Um, 
at the very least, there was probably going to be a civil war between the Iron Throne and Tywin as he tried to essentially like prove his children didn't do it or get them back from captivity or get revenge if Robert ends up killing them. Um, would he support Stannis or Renly as his heir? Maybe. I tend to think that um, Mia Stone um, is one of his legitimized, well, not legit, one of his recognized bastards, but also Edric Storm. I think Edric Storm would probably be where he would go. He hasn't really kept track of the rest of them, even though, you know, Gendry's out there and Bella. And I think there's like 13 other Baratheon kids out there, according to Maggie the Frog. So um, Edric Storm would be my guess. But um, there's also a possibility he could just marry again and go back to the idea that Stannis is his heir until he has another son. Legitimizing Edric would probably be my guess, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, Ramona. I think uh, Robert would not be kind to Cersei and um, her children. Uh, Lady Rosalie Valarion, what would be the best lost books for us to find out had uh, for us to find out had been at the Winterfell Library in Duncan Egg's time and later burn in the fire? Um, so A Natural History by Septon Barth is right at the top of the list. Um, that's probably the most impactful one, I would guess. What other good books are out there that would be important? Um, there's Fires of the Freehold, if we're talking about important for the end of Song of Ice and Fire proper. Uh, Signs Importance, too. I don't know why it would ever be there, but that would be a really interesting one for him to find. Not a Caution for Young Girls. God damn it, never that one. God, that book is... Oh, we got another... Um, Got another PayPal thing. Um, I, again, these are all being uh, donated at the end of the stream. Got one here from... Um, oh, wait, where did it go? These are supposed to actually pop up on the stream, but I haven't been able to make it work. Um, so we've gotten 52 bucks so far to donate, so thank you guys so, so much. Um, Aaron, could you repeat your question in the chat? Um, PayPal's not really letting me see it for some reason. It kind of bounced it down and cut part of it off, so if you just repeat it, I'll answer it. Um, but again, thank you for the 20 bucks. Very, very, um, very, very generous. Uh, Guilty Undertaker, the bones that the Night's Watch found at White Tree were the free folk practicing human sacrifice and a last-ditched attempt to stop the others? Um, no, I don't think that it had anything to do with the others. I think it's just a, a tradition that has continued beyond the wall that the uh, first men and the worship of the old gods is intrinsically tied to blood sacrifice and that they over time have essentially just kept it going whereas the andal influence within the rest of westeros has stopped most of the first men family south of the wall from doing it although you can probably see the first knight as kind of an extension that i imagine that quite a lot of time that um so the if you guys don't know what the first knight is this is this is a thing that george played up that wasn't really real in like this is a thing that also came up in Braveheart. Braveheart is not a documentary, but the first night was the idea that the Lord on the night of the wedding could have his, could essentially have sex with the bride to be before the husband. Um, you could often pay them off in order to get around it, but some Lords would not take the bribe or would enforce their rights and essentially force themselves on the women. Yeah. Prima Nocta. It's, it's kind of overblown how real it was. Didn't happen all that much, but if that was a real thing you were doing, like George has made in his books, then you would end up with quite a lot of royal bastards that nobody wants. Someone like Ramsay Snow. So what would you do with them? Well, you could sacrifice them to the old gods. That makes a lot of sense, right? Especially since they value um, blood sacrifices and all that. So that's what, yeah, that's what I think was going on at White Tree. It's just an extension of um, the blood 
sacrifice of the old god worshippers that has essentially just continued uninterrupted beyond the wall without the influence of the Andals to stop them. I mean, we see that in Bran's vision that um, they would slit people's throats in front of the trees. So, yeah, it seems like the same kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Brave, yeah. Good call, Dornish Dame. Braveheart is not a documentary. Prima Nocta really did not happen much, if almost ever. That is sort of just a Mel Gibson thing. And also George R. R. Martin, because he put it in his books. By the way, in case you don't know, The Song of Ice and Fire is not real history. George is a fictional writer. He's not a historian. Somewhere Shiloh Carroll was doing a fist pump on that one. Oh, there's Aaron's question. Uh, do you think there is an appreciable difference between the Targ gift of dragon dreams and the Targ gift of prophecy? It seems like some like Daron can perhaps see more widely. Um, so this is something I've wondered about before. Eamon says as he is dying that he and all of his siblings, or at least he and all of his brothers, had dragon dreams. But we know from Duncan Egg that Egg draws a difference between those dreams and what Daron has. That <laughs> let me see if I can articulate this correctly. So there's dragon prophecy and dreams of dragons coming back. And you sort of see this with Danny, where there's sort of a mixture between it, where she also she dreams of Drogon um, being hatched before it happens. And is that a prophecy or is that her dreaming of dragons? But if we're talking about in particular, the difference with Daron is that he legitimately all the time would dream the future, much in the same way we see from the ghost of High Heart and um, that we also see from different forms of prophecy in the story that future events that are disguised behind weird symbolism and all that other kind of stuff. And then there's the dragon dreams, which are essentially the Targaryens dreaming of the dragons returning. Or just dreaming of dragons, like riding on them, having a good time, high-fiving as they uh, fly across the sky. So I wonder if it's sort of like the difference between skin changing and green sight, where there's a big circle that is all skin changers, and then a very small circle inside that is green sight, a very much more refined and powerful gift. So maybe that's kind of the relationship there. Dreaming of the future is something very different. Um, like Eamon describes his dragon dreams and he just sort of describes it as he feels their hot breath and hears their wings flapping and f and imagines them being real in his dragons. But I mean, in his dreams, but not necessarily future sight. I think there's I think you could draw a distinction there if you want to use that. Yeah. Skin changes and green sight as the difference. But I imagine that when people talk about them in universe, they may not be especially like very precise on which one they mean. So you'd probably have to go back and um, keep track of what the effects are talking about. Like Tyrion dreams of dragons all the time. He does it. He's done it his entire life. This is one of the reasons people think Tyrion Targaryen, but he doesn't really seem to dream the future. It just seems like he dreams of having a dragon, <laughs> which is a very different thing. Not to go all Tyrion Targaryen on everything. Whoa, a lot of stuff just sort of caught up all of a sudden. Yeah, Targ Dragon Quidditch. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Uh, did I start a thing about um, <laughs> about Braveheart being not real? Yeah, it's it's nowhere near real. It's like it's like a comic book, basically, which is, you know, fine. It's a movie. It's to entertain. It's not it's not a history book. Mm, let's see here. Let's grab another one. Uh, Rosinante says, uh, do you ever wonder how that agreement between the first men and the old and the old gods came to be, how they switched from their gods 
to the old gods is something to contemplate. So I thought about this for a while and I've, I've thought a lot about the idea that when Bran has his weirwood paste, which is almost certainly Jojen paste, that Bloodraven describes that, that he's being married to the trees and that it's sort of, if you think about it, that's kind of the idea that happened between the first men and the children of the forest that they, as part of their pact, they, they didn't, I don't think they especially exactly agreed to worship the old gods, but they ended up doing it. Um, so I wonder if it was a conscious idea or if it was a sort of a slow thing, because whatever the first men believed, it's gone. It's gone completely, completely um, taken over by old gods worship or later and all worship of the faith of the seven. Um, wouldn't be that surprising. A lot of um, pagan religions tend to or tribal religions tend to merge and they don't really have like an exact catechism that gets passed down from year to year from like um, generation to generation. Like I was reading about how the what we think of as the Viking or the Norse mythology and all those gods because they had so, because they traveled so much and because like the idea of a Viking is a Viking is the name of a soldier. That's like a job. That's a job within Norse culture and sort of anybody could do it. Like they were mercenaries basically. As a result, quite a lot of the Norse people were, um, had a very pluralistic society, lots of different, um, religions and gods and stuff interacting. And over time they became what we know as like the Norse religion today with Odin and all the different gods and stuff like that. But it's kind of just sort of a mishmash. So whatever the first men actually believed in terms of their religion before they came to Westeros, maybe it somehow got integrated into the, um, into the old God worship that we see now, but it's, it's really unclear, um, where they came from. Oh yeah. Slash that MF and light button got 152 watching. Thank you guys for, um, for hanging out this Saturday. Uh, just want to remind you guys again that, um, any donations or super chats or anything like that. Um, let me drop the PayPal link here. Uh, I'm going to be donating at the end of the stream or whenever YouTube tells me how much money I made. Um, you can do super chats if you feel like it. I'm just going to let you know that if you do, YouTube takes about 40% of that. So if you want most of the money to go to directly to these organizations I'm going to donate to, you'd be better off doing PayPal so they get a bigger cut. But if you want your name on the thing, then whatever, it's your money. Up to you. Um, <clears throat> I can imagine, though, that if you're talking about that the old gods literally are magic, and so is skin changing, so is green dreams. So over time, I can imagine sort of just an immersion and the idea that it is real being a powerful idea to warlords and that kind of thing. Like we see with Varamir Sixkins, he's essentially just using his magical powers, the gifts from the old gods, in order to turn himself into what amounts to a petty lord. So in that sense, you can see that these magically aligned old gods worshippers would probably end up being the origins of a lot of the great houses that we know in First Amendment culture. Um, yeah, 40%. 40% is how much YouTube takes. That's the sort of a thing. They do that. Um, that's the sort of how it goes. Um, but yeah, I, I can imagine that whatever the first man culture was eventually got overwhelmed by old god sympathizers who use their literal magical abilities. Oh, um, a new patron pledge from Lemmy B. $51. That sounds like it's a yearly thing. Let me check that. Yeah, that is. Um, so... Oh, I, I always hate trying to um, to parse how much this actually is because like the taxes come in. Uh, thanks so much for signing up for Patreon, let me be. That's super nice. 
Um, really appreciate it. Um, if you want to drop a question or something in the chat, I'll go ahead and answer it. Um, hey, don't worry about it, uh, you guys. If this is a really hard time, um, people are struggling out there. Don't worry about me and money and all that other kind of stuff. Um, this is all just for charity today. Um, yeah, good call, a Guilty Undertaker. A lot of Norse sagas were hijacked by Christianity as well. Same thing for Christmas. Christmas is a pagan Norse holiday that essentially got integrated into Christianity. The whole idea of decorating the trees and all that kind of stuff. That's a that is a Norse Germanic tradition that essentially got um that got absorbed. Easter too. Yeah, that's right. Happens all the time. So whatever it was, it probably just got merged completely with old god culture. Uh, Lady Rosalie Valarin has Bran ever met another skin changer apart from his siblings? Well, he's met um, Blood Raven. That's a skin changer. Um, all the children of the forest that he's met. So Leaf, those weird people standing out in the um, the weird children of the forest that are essentially connected to trees elsewhere in the caves. They're all skin changers. So yes, yes, he has. We have a lot of random real history here today. <laughs> oh, um, ten dollars on PayPal from Fred Versteeg. Uh, just because I enjoy your views. Thank you so much, Fred. It's very generous of you. Uh, let's grab another question here. Uh, so Shakespeare Thrones uh, on Twitter in response to my Twitter thing had a very, very, very Shakes response to this. She said, everything Tarth, please. The house words, who Brian's mama was, how, uh, how Brian descends from Dunk, how do they have Targ blood? What did Andrew Tarth do to end up at the wall? I'll take anything, but I'm not sure Gurm even cares. I think that was a spot on Lauren impression right there. <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk some Tarths. Let's talk uh, the Evening Star. Let's talk Brienne. All right. So what are their house words? Who knows? George makes them up sort of semi-randomly, it seems like. Uh, who was Brienne's mama? This is a big oversight in George's ability to write family trees. He does not seem to care too much who the mothers are. He seems to care mostly about who the fathers are. And then... Um, if the mothers are interesting somehow, he ends up inserting them, but we'll probably never know who Brienne's mother was. How does Brienne descend from Dunk? I was thinking about this. Um, so we know, it's pretty much confirmed, that Brienne is related to Dunk in the Tall. She finds his shield in, um, in the Tarth, what is it, the, um, their armory. She finds his famous um, tree with the falling star at sunset, shields sitting in there. Um, and then somebody asked George if we would find out if like if there was a Duncan the Tall ancestor. No, Duncan the Tall um, relation within the books. And he said yes. And then that showed up in A Feast for Crows. So yes, that is probably Brianna's related to Dunk. But how did this happen? So Dunk had a lot of sex. Dunk had quite a lot of children. Uh, me and Crowfood's daughter have talked about it in terms of how he's a sort of doing a Lucamore lusty impression. Uh, I think he's... In, secret member of how strong that this is like a first man um very open sexual idea going back to like uh garth greenhand and a lot of these figures where they essentially just had tons and tons and tons of kids because if you combine that with the ideas of the first night that there was a quite a lot of extramarital sex happening in the society so how did dunk end up inserting himself into house tarth so Let's think about where Tarth is. Tarth is in the Stormlands, the little island off um, off the coast. As far as we know, Dunk has not gone to the Stormlands. He's been to the Riverlands. He's been to the Reach. He's been to Dorne. We know he ends up in the north at some point with um, the She-Wolves of Winterfell, the story that's coming. 
Um, we don't know if he's ever been. We know he's been to the Crown Lands. We don't know if he's been to the Vale. So that leaves those regions left behind. But there is one very important thing that happens while Dunk is, you know, Sir Duncan the Tall, the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, and that is the Laughing Storm Rebellion. So this is, I talked about this in a stream a few weeks ago, talking about Jenny of Oldstones and Duncan the Prince of Dragonflies, where he essentially broke his betrothal with Lionel Baratheon. Lionel raised his forces in rebellion and came after the Seven Kingdoms, essentially crowning himself Storm King of Old. Dunk ends up fighting Lionel, winning the duel in trial by combat, not killing him, and that ends a rebellion. But we have no idea what happened before that. Were there battles? What happens afterwards? Did Aegon and Dunk then go to the Stormlands? Did they meet a member of House Tarth during all this? Because it wouldn't have just been Lionel. He probably would have had a lot of his vassals on his side too, of which the Tarths are. So if we're talking about when Dunk found his way in the House Tarth, I would guess during during the Laughing Storm Rebellion or afterwards, during his uh, duties as Lord Commander, I think he essentially was, I don't know if he was a general of the armies, but he probably would not in control of some amount of troops. Lord Commanders usually are. So that would be my guess that Dunk made the eight, as it were, and the Stormlands was one of them. Um, we don't have a Tarth family tree. Um, I don't think we'll ever get one, but that would be my guess. Actually, if you guys play, play Crusader Kings 2, if you go into the Game of Thrones mod and you look at House Tarth and their history, if you go back from Selwyn, they've essentially made up a character for it. If you want to go find this during your games, when he's alive, he's called Aegon Tarth. And then if you go and look into the code of the character, if you go into debug mode, They've tagged him as a secret um, child of Dunk. But for Brienne to be related to him, it has to come through the main line. So I'm guessing this means that Dunk... Well, you, mm, Dunk either had sex with the, with the older sister of House Tarth at the time, and she ended up becoming the ruling member. And through her, this child got passed off as whatever her husbands were, and that ended up becoming uh, a member of House Tarth. Or he cuckolded Lord Tarth and essentially banged his wife. But yeah, so that's, um, yeah, that's true, Corey Freight. There could have been maybe a cousin somewhere, but George doesn't really like cousins when he's talking about the, and Tarths aren't really like a major house per se. Like even the Starks, they should have like tons of branch houses, but they just don't. George didn't want to complicate it. So he's essentially just kept it with the main line going back. Uh, why would a bastard have dunked shield? Good question. Not really sure why he left his shield behind. Um, who knows? Well, if she's related to Dunk via her mom and her mom and um, she doesn't come from the Tarth, it's unclear why the shield would end up there. Uh, you're, we're assuming that the shield is signifying that Dunk was at Tarth and that he left it behind for some reason, which implies that he was macking it with a member of House Tarth, not or at least a member of House Tarth while they were there, which would imply the Lord's wife or something like that. That's my idea anyway. Um, and this is one I forgot about. What did Andrew Tarth do to end up at the wall? So this is not, this is a cousin. This is what you, you were talking about. This is a cousin of the, of the main branch of House Tarth because it's not said if Andrew is related to Selwyn, but he's definitely not related to Brienne. I mean, like he's not, okay, so he's, we don't know if he's a sibling to Selwyn, but he's not a sibling to Brienne. We don't know who this guy is. Um, so yeah, maybe there is a cousin branch that ended up weaving its way back into the main line after somebody a couple generations back hooked up with Dunk, and that's how you got Brienne. Um, 
that could definitely be true. George is at least introducing the idea that there are multiple Tarth House Tarth families out there. Yeah, uh, Isabel Harper sometimes Gurm leaves family spots black because they're not important. Sometimes he's making up. Most of the time he's just making them up. He hasn't gotten to them yet. He does not. He does not do that well with that kind of stuff. Oh, let me scroll up so we can. So yeah, I hope if shakes if you watch this back that those are. All your questions. There are a few more questions that I got um, about Sir Andrew and the relationship of Dr. Brienne. Uh, George can write whatever he wants, but my guess would be the Laughing Storm Rebellion is where this particular um, ancestor came from. That's where Dunk found himself in the Stormlands when he found himself on Tarth for some reason. Maybe we'll get this in a story. Maybe we won't. This is one of those things I have noticed when you're reading back the Dunkin' Egg novels. Or not novels. They're novellas. They're pretty short, actually. Um, that Dunk almost hooks up or does quite a lot in these books. Uh, almost every single one, there's a love interest for him. In the first one, it's Tansel Too Tall. Then it's uh, Rohane Weber, where it's implied they probably fucked. I don't know. What do you guys think? Did Duncan Rohane actually get down before he left? Open question. And the third one, it's a little more unusual because it's um, <laughs> it's Damon Blackfire the, uh, that is trying to climb that castle wall, as it were. But yeah, there's a love interest for Dunk every time. So if you follow that pattern as we get more Dunk stories, then uh, we'll probably end up with more stories and probably how he ended up macking it with a member of House Tarth. All right, so most of you believe that it's a, <laughs> a slam dunk. They banged. They definitely did. Um, they got down before he left. And then later after she left, Dunk got it in. Dunk and Rohan, yeah. I think most people think that he did not just cut her hair and leave that he probably they probably did have sex and i would imagine that that pattern will continue in the future speaking of oh uh thank you for this uh subscription um lv rissus i think that's here on youtube or for the follow no it's youtube subs thank you for the subscription um uh, lady gwyn of radio westeros who is on the stream last week talking all about liana stark she wants to know how did when did liara stark die if she doesn't get this answer, one day she swears she will riot. Very angry Lady Gwen right there. Um. <laughs> okay, so when did Liara Stark die? Uh, this is unfortunately another case of George not really developing his female characters outside the ones that are directly relevant to the main lines of the family for some reason. Uh, this is Liara Stark who was married to Rickard Stark, one of his cousins, his first cousin I think. Um, maybe second cousin. I have to check the family tree. The mother of Brandon, Brandon, Ned, Liana, and Benjen. So when did she die? Who knows? Um, I was answering a question. I forget where, but somebody was talking about who was the Stark in Winterfell after um when everybody went to the tourney. Um, I suggested that it may have been Liara at this point that maybe she wasn't dead yet. Um, when she eventually dies off page and she stayed behind. Um. Oh, it was on YouTube. YouTube. Somebody asked this question on YouTube. Um, maybe Liara stayed behind while all her kids and Rickard went to the tourney in Harrenhal, but maybe uh, Rickard stayed behind. Who knows? They could have left it to a castellan. But when did she die? Uh, Ned almost never thinks about her, and Benjen doesn't talk about her. So I'm going to guess it was probably when they were pretty young. If she was like a major figure in their life, you'd figure as Ned was thinking about Catelyn, and Liana and John and the relationship between motherhood and all this other kind of stuff that maybe thoughts about his own mom would come up with Liara, but she doesn't. So I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm gonna throw it out there that 
since George has declined to have Ned think about her, that um, he might have been pretty young when she died. So there wasn't a lot of memory for him to draw on. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you, Amy Blackfire. I wish we got, and so does Lady Gwen, wish we got more information about these female characters. Uh, 103 likes. Uh, so 47 more to go, and I'll be put on that hat. And um, let me double check PayPal. Sometimes it doesn't give me the notifications. So we're up to $62 are going to be donated at the end of the stream. Um, super, again, Super Chats and any of that other kind of stuff I'm going to be giving away at the end of the stream. Hey, Amanda. Oh, this is a good timing. Amanda, you asked this question in Patreon, on the Patreon Slack, and what were you talking about? I don't remember this thing about the Shadow Assassin. Could you briefly explain it and then I'll try and answer? I couldn't find it when I uh, quickly looking through the wiki either. Uh, question here from... Uh, one of my patrons, Eric Forick, does anything happen based on John Collins' dislike and bitterness towards Varys and Lirio for their plot to destroy his reputation to facilitate his tutoring of Aegon? Does he kill them or give them grayscale? Okay, so John Con, yeah, he doesn't really like Varys and Illyrio too much. Um, I don't think he will do anything to them, um, except it's to um, try and seize control back as like Hand of the King sort of thing. Um, as Aegon rises in power, those around him are going to be jockeying for position. Varys and Illyrio are going to be one. Duran, if Arianne marries um, young Griff, that will be another one. Connington as well, obviously. Almost Harry Strickland also has a say. So I don't know how brutal John Con will get in terms of trying to isolate Griff away from those around him. But I'm, I'm not sure if it's like dislike and bitterness or if it will just be a try to be um, consolidation of power. Ah, a man is going to find the excerpt. I didn't remember a shadow assassin in Fire and Blood. So I read that and I was like, what? When did that happen? I mean, obviously, there's the idea that Septon Moon was killed by a shadow assassin, but I don't remember a dragon one. That sounded cool. Anime Love and Nicole thinks that Liar died in childbirth for Benjen. Yeah, that could be true. Or stillbirth afterwards. Yeah, quite a lot of uh, George's women die that way. Mm. Uh, one Emmett Booth, poor Quentin, wants to know what happened to Stone Snake. So uh, Stone Snake, if you don't remember, he's one of the rangers that went with Corn, Calfhand, and John into the Frostfangs in order to try and find Mance's army. Um, in the aftermath of them getting essentially caught by Orel and his eagle, Stone Snake kind of disappeared, and we haven't really seen him since. I think Squire Dalbridge, they cut off his head and we know he's dead. John had to kill Corn, so we know he's gone. But Snow Snake has not reappeared in any way. Um, he's gone off page and not reappeared. So what would be the reason for this? Where did he go? Uh, well, he hasn't rejoined the Night's Watch. We know that. So if he hasn't rejoined the Night's Watch, you have to assume he might be dead. Um, the Frost Fangs are pretty ridiculous. Uh, there's quite a lot of... Um, of Mance's forces that were chasing them. There were also the shadow cats or whatever they were. It was like snow panthers or something in the mountains. Um, but we also know the others are coming and they've been essentially wiping out everybody they, they find. So if I had to guess, Stone Snake just sort of died off page and we'll never see him again. But it'd be kind of fun if Benjen's still alive out some, somewhere out there that he be, that Stone Snake found him and they're like doing this like weird super team of exiled rangers they're trying to help the knights watch without their knowledge although it seems like it would make more sense for them to just go back and join the knights watch again yeah where is stone snake i think this is another uh instance of george totally just forgetting a character um 
this is actually something that comes up quite a bit where people look at the detail in George's books and like all the different characters and like the small details he always gets right and how does he do this? Well, he doesn't keep them all in his head all the time, obviously. Uh, we know from interviews and answer and questions and answers that his editors like uh, Anne Groel or um, Elio and Linda from Westeros.org are often used as fact checkers when he's when he finishes chapters. He'll send them out and then they'll go through and I think some of his minions do this for him too. Well, they'll just go through and just like quickly Google all the different characters and find the different patches where they showed up and essentially try to make sure they all match up. So Stone Snake um, has essentially maybe one of those characters that got overlooked, but who knows? Oh, hi, Tanya Niehaus. How's it going? Uh, Marla Garena says, is it a commonly held belief amongst the Westerosi royalty that Liana's baby also died and never hear it mentioned? Most royalty do not know she was pregnant. Uh, as far as they know, Liana Stark died at the Tower of Joy, and that's just kind of it. Um, most have different stories that uh, Rhaegar essentially raped her to death or that she died somehow in the struggle between Ned and the Kingsguard or something like that. But there's, um, yeah, there's not a lot there. Most people do not know she was pregnant at all. That's That's been kind of the secret to keeping RLJ under wraps is that that particular detail has been left out of the story. Well, the Wiki of Ice and Fire is maintained by Elio and Linda, so I guess in a way... He does consult the Wiki of Ice and Fire because that's basically what they are for him in a large way. They serve as like a super like uh, actually this is something uh, I don't know if you guys saw this on Reddit, but uh, one of my fellow mods, uh, Zanius, I think that's pronounced his name, um, put up a thing where he put out another bunch of uh, so spake Martins from um, from the past about new information that he's uncovered or new to the fandom, basically. And if you look back, especially at the old instances where a lot of the lore we get that's not exactly in the books comes from people like Ilio and Linda essentially pestering George for information. Is Planetos canon? No, he calls it Earth. Planetos is the name that we call it just because it makes sense to try and draw a differentiation. Um, okay, so let's grab another one. Um, curtsy while you tweet on Twitter um, said, since Varys is hired specifically specifically to spy on Rhaegar, why does he seemingly know nothing about the Tower of Joy or Jon Snow? What a good timing for me to be talking about that at the same time. So why does Varys, who was hired to counter Rhaegar's attempts to take the throne, mostly from Ares, really know nothing about what happened in Dorne and all that other kind of stuff? So I replied to this, <clears throat> but there's a few reasons. Like one thing is that we know quite a lot about the Tower of Joy because we've seen inside Ned's head and we've seen the memories and we get the story, um, well, we get some parts filled in by Jojen and Mira. When you think about what the rest of Westeros knows, they know almost nothing about what happened there. Ned, when he came back, said basically nothing except that um, he and, Ar he and uh, Helen Reed killed Arthur Dane. That's kind of it. Um, they know Lyanna Stark died there. They know all of Ned's men died there. And that Ned uh, essentially pulled down the tower to make them graves. And then he came back and along the way, apparently he picked up his bastard child with a Shardane. And that's more or less the story everyone knows. So when you're talking about like, so why doesn't Varys suspect there was a child? Well, there's no real, nobody knows that Lyanna was even pregnant. I mean, you can maybe you can suspect it since you know that Rhaegar and her <clears throat> were on some level having sex, whether it was where they are married or not. But that information is not widely known. And if you're talking about like, so how does Varys usually acquire information? 
He does it by finding out people's secrets by like hiding in weird places and paying off informants. Well, there's not that many informants left from the Tower of Joy. The only people that were there that walked away alive were Howland and Ned and a baby, but he doesn't know about the baby and maybe Wyla. Okay, so there's three people that know. Ned's in the north, Howland's in the neck, so Ferris basically has no interactions with them at all. He's, a, he's They are essentially beyond his reach and they're secluded and they don't talk very much anyway. So, okay. So then the only other source of information for Varys to figure out what happened to Tower of Joy would be, okay, what about Wyla and the Danes? Well, that's, the Danes are like a, a cool house and they're, they used to be important, but they're not that big anymore. With Ashara supposedly dead and Wyla staying there and the rest of the Danes towing the line that Ned and Ashara were a couple, then what does Varys have to go on in terms of like, figuring out the whole RLJ thing. There's no, nobody's talking. He doesn't have spies there. And whatever, even if he suspects that John may be Rhaegar's child, Ned's not like preparing him in any way to be a Targaryen claimant. Like as far as Ned's concerned, John is his kid and that's the way it's going to be the rest of his life. Okay. Well then the fact that he's Rhaegar's child doesn't do anything. Like it's not useful information. If Ned was planning like building support and sending out letters trying to essentially do a like a um some kind of popular targaryen restoration plan then Varys would hear about it but ned's not doing that okay so then that's that's another problem there um and then also i think a lot of people forget that after the tower of joy Varys has his hands full he's not only um taken essentially command of viserys and danny after their escape from dragonstone and has like doing this intercontinental fake murder spree on them. But he's also trying to keep Robert Baratheon alive, and he's also got this plan at the Young Griff, so there's not a lot to go on for Varys to figure out, and he's got bigger fish to fry, essentially, in the greater scheme of things. So why does that's why I think Varys didn't essentially, like, figure out RLJ. There's What's he supposed to do? He's not literally magic. He's not a green seer. Yeah, he also wasn't just focused on Ned. Ned's not a, not an interesting figure. He's not staying at court. He's not trying to be a powerful figure. He essentially just wants to go home and sit in his castle and be with his family. And Varys is like, all right, fine, whatever. Go do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was my answer anyway. There's a lot, even if he suspected it, then if John doesn't know and Ned's pretending it's not real, then like, is it a big deal to Varys? No, not really. Especially since he can't control John. He can't get him out of Winterfell, so... Even if you want to do a young Griff plan with Jon Snow, thinking he's maybe Rhaegar's son, well, you can't do it because Ned's got him under lock and key. <clears throat> uh, Shockweed says, do you think Bobby B's hatred of Rhaegar would overshadow his love of Lyanna and that he'd kill their baby if he knew? Well, Ned seemed to think so. He took great pains to make sure that Jon Snow stayed far, far away from Robert Baratheon at all costs. Um, so I think Ned probably has a better read on Bobby B than we would. As like, since they supposedly know each other. And if he thinks Robert may have been a danger to John, then I'm willing to take that as essentially canon that, yeah, Robert may have killed John or had him killed, um, even if not personally, to send assassins. Uh, 120 likes, 106 people watching, so 30 more. Slam that like button, you guys. <laughs> Let's see here. Ah, oh, here's a good one. Uh, Cyril Woodcock, or Mrs. Danvers Apologist on Twitter, said uh, she wanted to know Rohane Weber's fate. I feel my bones she escaped and is living her best life in Essos. Also, well, Ashara. Okay, so 
So for those who don't know, Rohane Weber eventually, after marrying the Osgrays, ended up uh, marrying into the Lannisters. And at some point, she just kind of disappears. And there's a big scandal about it, and people are pretty sure uh, the Lord of Lannister had essentially killed her um, and buried the body somewhere deep in Castle Rock that nobody found. And that's kind of what happened. Um, oh, super chat here, or a donation from uh, Gina Rivera, $5. Thank you so much. It's very generous. Um, so some have wondered what, what ended up happening to Rohan. If she wasn't literally murdered and dumped into like Lannisport Harbor or something like that, where did she go? So there's a couple interesting ideas. So um, going to Essos is a possibility. Um, there's a Weber, I think, in the Golden Company. Someone that claims to be a Weber, I think. Let me find this real fast. Where is my list of Golden Company members? Um, oh, I can't find this one, but I know that there's somebody in Essos, a sellsword that claims to be a Weber, or they have a name that sounds like a Weber, or they're like the name's the spider or something like that. I uh, can't quite find it. Um, forget who it is, but um, yeah, that, that would be an interesting idea if she knew that the murder was coming and escaped to Essos, and then one of her children ended up joining the Golden Company or one of the other sellsword companies or something like that. Um, that would be a nice story for her. Another idea is that maybe she escaped from Casterly Rock and ended up living as a hermit somewhere. Um, some have noted, for instance, the Cleganes seem to be kind of, they have the same sort of giantism that you see from Brienne of Tarth and you see from Duncan the Tall. What if the the heritage of the mountain and Sandor Clegane and their giant size comes from being like a bastard child of Duncan the Tall and Rohane Weber with the um, red hair essentially just getting erased over time. That would be something interesting. Um, there's supposedly a rain bastard among the Golden Company too. Oh, it's a sellsword in the wind blown. That's right. I'm sorry. That's why I was looking it up. Um, there's a Weber, right? Yeah, there's a guy named Weber. <laughs> Um, a Westerosi named Weber. So that might be Rohan Weber's kid, um, especially since the wind blown. I think the timing would line up with when the uh, sworn sword would come out that maybe George put that in, put that in as a nod to Rohan, knowing what he ended up doing to her or where she ended up going. Who knows? Um, that would be kind of interesting. I do like the, the Clegane connection, though, that... Um, that if you look at all these different like giant characters in A Song of Ice and Fire, at least the ones we know now, at least some of them are probably related to Dunk because George um, has established the pattern with Brienne to Dunk. So you sh looking for other gigantic characters like that, the Cleganes stand out, especially knowing that that area is around where, you know, Rohan Weber ended up and it's one of his lovers. That'd be kind of cool. Oh, super chat here from Amy Blackfire. $20 um, says, thank you for doing this. No, thank you, Amy. That's very, very generous. Um, so we're up to, let's see here. That's $85 going to charity. Thanks, guys. Oh, okay. So there's a quote here. Amanda found her thing, or Crow Food's daughter. <clears throat> As the others fled, the story went, the one-handed prophet stood fearless and alone against the ravening beast, calling for the seven for sucker, sucker? Till the warrior himself took form 30 feet tall. In his hand was a black blade made of smoke that turned to steel as he swung it, cleaving the head of Cyrax from her body. What? How did I miss this? 
What the hell? <laughs> That's in Fire and Blood? A 30-foot shadow thing with a sword? Like the the warrior coming to life and killing a dragon? What the fuck? <laughs> I have no idea, Amanda. <laughs> a 30-foot shadow baby? I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, I guess. Like, the shadow baby, when its sword went through Renly, it went right through the gorget and through the metal like it was butter. So, I guess... I guess you could. Um, that's a wild story. I don't remember that coming up at all. Did everyone just skip that over when they were reading? How many people remember what Amanda's talking about from reading Fire and Blood? How many of you remember this giant shadow thing that cut off a dragon's head? I don't remember this at all. Um, I, I mean, it's not impossible. I guess that's what I could say. <laughs> um, I've never heard of that. Is there any size limit to a shadow baby? Um, I guess not. I mean, I... I the shadow baby seems to be connected to Stannis' psyche, and it kind of just acts out his his desires, I guess, because he remembers doing it. So the shadow baby is him, just like outside of his body. So whose body? So some whoever cast the shadow basically had to have a red priest, or no, no, had to have a shadow binder, and then be able to control the shadow to become thirty feet tall, and then cut off a dragon's head. Um, that is wild. Yeah, Davos says the Shadow Bay is directly recognizable as Stannis. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. That's a really good catch right there. <laughs> I've never heard of it. Um, wow. That's a good one. I can't wait to see the video that comes out where you're talking about it. Or if you don't, whatever. Oh, that poor, poor Red Priestess. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's just grab another question. Ah, Marla Garena says, Why doesn't anyone seem to think it's weird that Val looks like a Targaryen? You know, this is something I thought about before, too. Um... Val does have like the high cheekbones and the facial features of a Valyrian or a Targaryen or kind of um she almost kind of looks Lannister like or maybe kind of like a Hightower. She's got the 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 classical um high noble like elven features to her and nobody's like oh it's weird because everyone else beyond the wall just kind of looks like a bunch of dudes and there's nobody like Val. Val like Okay, so th this is a this is the thing I thought about before, where like there's different levels of attractiveness throughout the kingdoms. So like, <laughs> Jon Snow is like a beyond the wall ten out of ten. He's a northern like eight out of ten, but he's probably like a like a Valyrian like five out of ten, where he doesn't have the he doesn't have quite the attractiveness. But Val's like a ten out of ten, no matter where you go. Where does come from? So there's a few possibilities that people have come up with for why Val is so randomly attractive. Actually, uh, Ramona Zamfir in the chat, one of my patrons, my Seneschal level patron, said one of them. Um, some people think it's Bloodraven, that maybe she's one of his, like a child of Bloodraven or something like that. Maybe when he was younger. Or Aemon, ho ho. Uh, although they were pretty old when they got sent to the wall, but you never know, it's possible. Um, I There's also the possibility, this is one that I've always liked. So, a lot of people forget that Jorah was married, and he was married to... Um, um, a lady of Hightower. What was her name? Jorah Mortmont. It's gonna come to my mind as soon as I... Liness Hightower. And so she lived at, at Bear Island for quite a while um, before Jorah got caught and then slaving and then got exiled and then she went with him to Essos. But we know that Liness did not think very highly of Jorah and essentially left him um, while he was fighting as a sellsword in the disputed lands. So did Liness have some bastard children. Um, we don't hear anything about it, um, but it is something to think about. Um, 
certainly Valandala or Valandala have um, what you would describe as high towerish features. So that could be a possibility. Um, Yelaness and Torment. Uh, you'd imagine though, if that came up, that Jorah would think about it sometimes, and he doesn't talk about that ever. But he does draw a comparison in his mind that he thinks that Daenerys looks like Lanes, and that's kind of what Val looks like. Uh, how do kids wind up all the way up there? I don't know. But I was just kind of thinking about like in terms of how did you get someone that attractive up beyond the wall? Like how did you get a Valyrian up there? Um, hard to hide a pregnancy. I mean, like. Obviously, men can have quite a lot of more bastards because they don't have to carry them. So it'd be harder for Lanes to pull that off. <clears throat> um, who else could end up beyond the wall? Um, yeah, Aemon and Bloodraven are possibilities. Could just be random. You know, sometimes people hit the genetic lottery and they end up just incredibly attractive for no reason. Doesn't always have to be like a highborn to it. Yeah, everyone's a secret bastard. White Walker bloodline in her. God, I hope not. That would be creepy. Um, yeah, not a lot of other good possibilities. Um, there haven't been that many Valyrian-looking people that ended up on the wall for quite some time. But you never know. Um, we don't have a full roster going back for forever for everyone that joined the Night's Watch. Maybe, maybe one of the um, maybe one of the Raven's Teeth had Valyrian features and ended up having a child beyond the wall, and that ended up becoming Val and Vala. You never know. That kind of stuff happens all the time. We know that the Rangers in the Night's Watch were not shy about hooking up with um, women beyond the wall, especially when they went ranging. So any Valarians in Night Watch? Not that I know of, but totally possible. A lot of people ended up there. Um, let's see here. Oh, that's true. Isabel Harbour talks about Lyseni pirates. Yeah, that could be true. Um, uh, from my patron Slack, um, one of my patrons in Niado, Niado? I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. Uh, they wanted to know, how did Garrod cross the wall when he deserted? He apparently didn't return to the watch after escaping the others, but it seems unlikely he went through the regular gates. Did he climb the wall? Did he know about the black gate and cross that way? <clears throat> so, interesting idea. One thing we know about the Night's Watch is that not everything gets reported to where it's supposed to be, and Garrett had been on the wall for quite a long time. So, just because Lord Commander Mormont doesn't know that Garrett made it through the um, the main gate of Castle Black or maybe the Shadow Tower or East Watch doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Like they could just let their friend Garrod through and just keep quiet. Um, it's totally possible. Uh, there's also you can just sort of sail around the wall. Um, so that's always a possibility. The Black Gate is also a good one. He's been a ranger for quite a long time. Um, yeah, he very well could know about the Black Gate and could use it to essentially evade the rest of the Night's Watch. Um, that's that's another very good possibility. We don't really know how many rangers know about the Night's Watch. I mean, about the Black Gate, but I would assume that most of them, at least after a certain point of time, are made aware of that secret passage to get through because maybe they have to use it at some point if they're being chased. Um, how do we know he was from Castle Black? Um, because what he was sent out with Waymar and Will when they were stationed at Castle Black, so... Um, oh, good question uh, from Robert. When Aegon landed, there were 10,000 men on the wall. What caused the decline of the Watch over 300 years? So there's a lot of different things that contributed to this. For one thing, a large reason people ended up on the Night's Watch was there were near constant wars between petty kings, or as we would call them petty kings, but you know, who became the Lord Paramounts. And a lot of the wars were not like they ended with the Targaryens where, um, where the dragons would just burn everything 
or there'd just be like total slaughters. There would be a lot of people that would be taken captive. A lot of the battles would be inconclusive. A lot of people, um, that kind of thing would happen. And there would be a lot of people losing their lands in these constant back and forths. You can imagine like when the, when the Storm Kings went to war with the Riverlands, they take a castle, they, you know, they remove its owners, they give it to a friendly vassal or a, a particularly loyal knight, and then they send the true owner to the wall or something like that. So that kind of thing didn't happen nowhere nearly as much during the Targaryen reign. It's actually noted for um, being relatively calm in terms of Westeros. Like when you think about the, the Reach and Dorne, they were almost in constant war with each other to the point that the Danes several times sacked Old Town. But that doesn't really happen for a long time. Those kind of things essentially have mellowed out because the threat of the dragons made rebellions and these kind of petty wars inconceivable or hard to do. So really not that many men were being taken captive. And when they were given the option to ransom themselves or take the black or be killed, a lot of them in the past would would choose the black. And so that's why you ended up with so many highborn on the wall, that kind of thing. That hasn't happened. That has well, that has stopped for the most part. Um, there's there's another reason. Hang on a second. Let me think about this. Ah, prosperity. Prosperity is a reason that not many people have taken the black because before the Targaryens took over and they instituted, you know, the King's Road and the dragons made trade relatively safe and um, travel possible between the different places without getting robbed constantly. There wasn't a lot of options for second and third sons or those in the lower classes for upwards mobility in terms of their livelihoods. The uh, taking the black was actually a pretty good option in terms of just having a stable, if slightly miserable life that was better than what you would have gotten anywhere else. But the increased trade and diplomacy between the realms made that there are different avenues of in economics that makes it possible for you to eke out a life somewhere else in Westeros. You could go to King's Landing. You could trade, you could um, become a knight for somebody in the Seven Kingdoms, not just your liege lord. You could become a man-at-arms. You could do all these kind of things that were previously not super available. So as a result, the Night's Watch ended up with a lot less people that, that wanted to join. That their selling point essentially became a lessened by the success of the Targaryen dynasty. It's kind of a weird thing to think that like, but yeah, it, it's kind of true. You don't need that penal colony part becomes way less attractive when you can get a similar or better life without the cold of the Night's Watch. <clears throat> I'm sure there are other reasons, but those are the economics ones are the ones I tend to believe. Yeah, Jay Moray says a lot of land disputes, definitely tons of land disputes that don't happen too often anymore. I mean, there still are, but they're much like they're much on a smaller level. Like we see with the sworn sword between the Eustaces and the Osgreys or no Eustace Osgrey and the Webbers. It's like small things, less like entire kingdoms going to war for one castle or one county. Um, uh, Guilty Undertaker says, why do you think the North apparently took so little interest in the Blackfire Balance or other Southern politics between the dance and just before the tourney at Harrenhal? Um, uh, distance is a big problem. Um, it's also really hard to get from the North to the South. Even if you're going through the neck with the Cranog uh, men not messing with you, it's a long journey. It's a long, arduous journey to go back and forth. So, and like the North itself is basically the same size as 
the other kingdoms combined. It's a giant, giant landmass with their own problems that's really spread out. And it's like, how do you even get involved with Southern politics while being from the North? You're completely separate from your base of power. You're completely separate from your family and you're out of place because the culture, there's quite a big culture gap between like King's Landing and Winterfell, which Ned experiences quite acutely. Um, so th that's my answer. I think geography is a big reason why the North just doesn't give a shit what happens below the neck. Like the Targaryens barely took an interest in them. They had them bend the knee and then essentially said like, all right, I mean, like you're not king anymore, Torin, but you're basically still king. Just like if we need you, come. But otherwise, like we're not going to really interfere too much until Alisane showed up and instituted some changes. Um, will Jon Snow be crowned King of the North and wins the winner? Maybe. One part of his resurrection is that I think a lot of people have the idea that he's going to give in to his desires a lot more, be a lot more animalistic, be a lot more um, less restrained. And one of those is to become Jon Stark, King of the North. So I can imagine that being something he actively goes after in his resurrection, that he would like to be Lord of Winterfell at least, or maybe the King of the North. Yeah, History Master, History Master one. Being a rich merchant isn't that bad. Yeah, that's it's a reasonable life that is now available to people that was previously not. Um, you could go to one of the cities from almost anywhere and just make a life out of it if you wanted to, which previously was very hard to do. Because I think a lot of people are when you think about the Seven Kingdoms, you think of it in terms of the United Seven Kingdoms, where one person like Dunk in his travels, even not with a prince, could basically go wherever he wanted. But that would not have been the case in the past. Like, if you crossed over from the Riverlands to the Stormlands territory, you, there might be soldiers you deal with. There might be, um, like, taxes, or there might be um, just, like, Stormlander soldiers uh, guarding the roads to ask what you're doing. And they might think you're a spy or something like that. The idea of unifying the Seven Kingdoms into the idea of Westerosi very much changed um, what you could do with your life, basically. Penal colony. Oh, my God. Although I guess after Mr. Monthly, I can't blame you guys for making bad sex jokes. I mean, this is kind of my thing. That's what I'm well known for. If there's a stream for it, bad sex jokes, it's this one. <laughs> um, hmm. Oh, a question from uh, Steve McClellan. They ask, what is the shadow by Ashai? So uh, Ashai is often called Ashai by the shadow. So I think the main explanation is that we know that the main river going through Ashai is called the River Ash, and it's basically full of volcanic ash, and the shadow is probably a volcano. That a massive, massive volcano to the north of Ashai in that peninsula exploded at some point and continues to explode to this day or continues to shoot out ash into the um, the lands below as sort of an echo of Valyria that since Valyria exploded with a volcanic eruption and Ashai seems to be another sort of similar high fantasy magical place that has fallen a volcano happening there would make a lot of sense especially with the the contamination in the water and all that stuff with um in Ashai so I'm guessing that's what the shadow is it's a continuing volcanic eruption, just shooting ash into the sky and the water and poisoning everything. That's my guess. Yeah, a, a worse doom than Valyria. A mega doom. <laughs> the mega doom of a shy. Oh, oh man, my throat hurts today. Then you guys have been hearing my voice crack. Oh. <clears throat> I only got a few minutes left, so if you guys have anything I haven't caught, something I missed uh, earlier in the stream, throw them out now. I'll try and get to them. Uh, we'll, we'll do a uh, lightning round before Radio Westeros 
uh, goes live in about an hour. Uh, and if this is also the last call for if you want to donate to any of those funds for um, to in the wake of Ruth Gator, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. Um, again, all the proceeds from the stream, I'm going to be giving away to charity. Um, so anything like that, I'm going to drop my PayPal again. You can also obviously do it through YouTube as well. Um, I think Radio Westeros is today with Aziz. I could have sworn they were going live today talking about the Tyrells. 5 p.m. today. Yep, Radio Westeros will be going live with, I think, Aziz talking about the Tyrells in general. Um, Robert Paxton, what were, what are the weirwood bows from the, where are the weirwood bows from the dragon teeth on the wall? That's a good question. Um, did the dragon teeth leave with Bloodraven when he abandoned the watch? Did they stay? I imagine that they're still up there somewhere, but it's also a problem that Bloodraven and the, and the, and the Raven's teeth were invented by George after John joins the watch. If you think about it in terms of the chronology of how they were written. So he had already written the Night's Watch. He had already written those things before those pieces of lore came to exist. Uh, yeah, the, oh, the Raven's Teeth, I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, I, he can't really retcon the Night's Watch into having a bunch of leftover weirwood bows. Although thinking about the Raven's Teeth, they probably would be there. Um, if they're not there, who knows? Maybe some wildlings got them. Maybe over time, the Raven's Teeth died and they, their bodies got looted like we see often happens. Uh, Buck Bigler says, are the shaven evening trees contaminated weirwoods? This is an idea that um, that has been kicked around a lot. Uh, people notice the color inversion that essentially the weirwoods and the shaven evening trees look identical. But if like you did like a negative exposure of them or something like that, like the, the colors are just flipped. Um, oh, yeah. Um, 17 likes. If you guys want to see me put on the uh, wizard's hat before we end the stream. Um, so are they connected? Well, we know that there were children of the forest like things in Essos. There's the um, the Woods Walkers and the Kingdom of the Ifaqueveron in northern Essos um, that the Dothraki were apparently afraid to go into, that they never conquered when they conquered everybody else. And you see story and the story sounds similar to the children of the forest, that there are these weird beings that talk to the trees and there's like weird magical things happening there. So it appears that George has, and I think there's also a race in southeastern Essos um, that are very similar to the children of the forest, but taller. So George is hinting through his lore that the children of the forest are not located only in Westeros, but that may be the only place they're really left. That over time, the maybe the Valyrians or the Ishai or the Karth people of Karth ended up destroying them until um, there's basically nothing left. So if there were children of the forest in Essos, therefore they probably had weirwoods. Therefore, um, if you're talking about shade and evening trees, then that would make a lot of sense that maybe there's a few left, like maybe the house of the undying and the, um, the shade and evening trees are like an ancient God's wood sort of thing left over from a time when the children of the forest the SOC version of the Children of the Forest were worshipped because we know Karth is like the oldest city that there exists in the world. So maybe that's like if you built a city around Winterfell and you like advanced it 5,000 years and everyone forgot about the Weirwoods and the old gods, like maybe the House of the Undying is kind of what it would look like. I forget the name of the other Children of the Forest look like, but I know they're in southeastern Essos. Um, if anybody in the chat knows them, that would be pretty cool. But I definitely, I know that 
the King Nodif Equivron in northern Essos definitely has children of the forest or what appears to be them. Let me scroll up, see if we can find one more, and then we'll probably be done for today because my throat hurts and I've got tomatoes and carrots to pluck, as well as videos and audio to edit. So, and my chai latte to finish, which I haven't been drinking, but I got this morning. The Woods Walkers, I think so. I forget their name. Uh, this is one I want to talk about because I know Radio Westeros and other people have been talking about Lady Stoneheart a lot. And Colin Fath on Twitter asked, Is Lady Stoneheart still Catelyn Stark? Okay, this is something I've thought about for quite a long time. And when you think about Second Lives and you think about how skin changing works from the perspective of those who do it, it is basically possible to steal somebody's body and live in it permanently. That's what Varamir is trying to do. So the idea is that perhaps maybe whoever is in Lady Stoneheart's body is not the same consciousness that left it. Um, because that, that, that is a thing you can do in this universe. That isn't a, something George has done, but we know also that over time, when you essentially take a second life in another body, you merge with whatever was left over and you start to become one with them. Like, uh, Jojen warns Bran about that, where he says like, don't be in the wolf too long. You'll become much more like a wolf than a boy, that kind of thing. So there definitely could be, um, an idea that whatever is living in Catelyn Stark's body may not have been the same soul that left it. Yeah, she has she has all of Cat's memories too, but like I was saying, it's noted in Second Lives that you start to absorb the memories. Like Varamir starts feeling the memories and emotions of um of Orel towards John, even though he's never met him before. Like he sees us he feels the surge of anger when he sees John. He's like, I don't have a problem with John, but Orel does, and I've like become one with him. So is that Catelyn Stark? Like maybe functionally kind of, but just because it has her memories doesn't mean it's the same soul that left it. Like we don't know what Beric Dondarrion called back from the void to awaken in that body. Um, I think that Egret Targaryen brings up a good point. Then who is it in there with her? If George is doing that, then uh, yeah, it's not a plot point he's he has played up. So I don't really know. Um, but it is an idea he could play with, especially since we lost Catelyn's uh, POV. Some have wondered if because she came back, maybe that means it's not the same POV and that's why she doesn't have one anymore. Um, yeah, Carrie Ray sounds a lot like Arya getting the memories from the face is exactly right. Similar idea. The memories of the body can be absorbed by the new person that's essentially has the body or the face or something like that. Um, but it, whoever it is, if it's not Catelyn Stark, it is somebody very, very angry and murderous. So that if you want to like sort of do a fan fiction or um, think about like, okay, so who's in control of Catelyn's body if it's not Catelyn Stark anymore? Who is this Lady Stoneheart? I don't know. Think of somebody that recently died um, who was extremely violent and angry and vengeful. And that'd be kind of fun for is Lady Stoneheart still Catelyn? Maybe. It might be somebody else looking through those eyes. <clears throat> Shaggy dog, yeah. Everyone dies at the Red Wedding, that's true. It probably just is Catelyn Stark, but like she's been, since she's died and come back to life and been dead for a few days or a few weeks or something like that, that her emotions and her feelings have absolutely like um, become corrupted or like just completely broke her sanity to the point that she's become like this murder demon sort of thing. But, you know, it's a fun thing to think about. 
Oh, oh, okay. So this reminds me of one I wanted to do real fast. So somebody, let me see if I can find this. Heathen King, uh, Grant on Twitter said, what's up with the Lorathi maze makers? And also there's a similar question from um, Matt Cootie, Matt, Matt Sudi, something like that on Twitter. Why has E.T. been written to sound so bad, a badass if you're not going to see it in the books, the five fourths are the biggest teeth ever, teas ever. And so I linked these together in a way because um, I kind of answered this in a <laughs> in a retweet that was kind of like dismissive, but I actually do think this is true. So a lot of times with this deep lore from the books, with these with these places like the lore after maze makers, E.T., Lang, Ashai, all these like weird mythical places that sound like super high fantasy. It's like, wow, I'd really like to see George go there. These places sound super cool. It's like, um, so why is he putting these in? Are these like, wait, are these the secrets to unraveling the story of a song of ice and fire? The answer is no, usually not. These things sound really cool and high fantasy and awesome because they are, because George is taking them from other book series. For instance, Lang is from Lovecraft's work. Uh, there's a Carcosa in the, um, in the far east of Essos, which is from the, um, God, what's the name of that? That's from, uh, the Yellow King. Um, the King in Yellow book by, uh, Robert W. Chambers. There's other places that are for like, like Conan the Barbarian, Frank Herbert and Dune, the different places from his world show up in Eastern Essos. So a lot of these different references and these weird things that you find in the world of ice and fire are not actually meant to be like, super serious lore things that are going to influence the end of the story like um some sort of Cimmerillion thing it's more george giving a nod to different stories and authors and stuff he loved when he was kid and that's just kind of what ends up happening there it's not that there's it's it's not like don't ever think about these things it's just like they're really cool because he thinks they're cool and that's why he wrote them in like for instance in um in volantis there is a character named triarch bellico who was an undefeated um, triarch of the Volantis until one day he lost by being trampled by um, a horde of giants. It's like, wait, what the hell are you talking about? What are you talking about with um, why are there giants in Volantis? Does this tell something about Essos and Volantis? And it's like, no, that story is Bill Belichick, the head, head coach of the New England Patriots that George R. R. Martin hates. And he very much enjoyed... Um, when the undefeated Patriots got beaten in the Super Bowl by the New York Giants, who George is a fan of. So he wrote that story into the world of ice and fire, into the lore of Atlantis, just because it amused him. So that, that stuff happens. It's, um, it's not always, it, or it's very rarely meant to be taken as super serious lore that will have some drastic impact. A lot of it is just stuff he thinks is cool. So anyway, um, especially, especially if you're talking about stuff from Essos. Like, so much of Essos is basically just, like, Lovecraft land. Um, oh, Sasuke also doesn't like Bill Belichick. Well, you're not alone. A lot of people don't like him, and George is one of them, which is why he killed him in his books. Um, so, yeah, let's see here. What do you got going on? In 15 minutes, Radio Westeros and um, History of Westeros, the worlds will be combining into one um, stream about the Tyrells. Let me see if I can get the link here. Yeah, I'll be watching this um, as well. So go check them out. Lady Gwyn, Yoke Boy, probably Aziz. I don't know if Ashe is going to be there. Probably just Aziz. Um, if you want to do me a favor, um, slam the like button before you leave. Subscribe if it's your first time here. Uh, support me on Patreon. Um, there's also the 
patron-only episode I put out last week, taught uh, analyzing Meat House Man for $5 patrons and up if you want to check that out. Um, there will be more coming along like that. Next videos will be about um, the Tattered Prince and his true identity, and also what is the five-year gap. Those will be going together. Um, and again, all the, all the money from the stream and all the donations and stuff like that, I'll be giving away to, uh, to charity for this one. Um, rest in peace, rest in peace, Ruth, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Here's hoping things get a little better. So I hope your hangovers get better. Um, thanks for hanging out Saturday. I'll, I'll have a topic next week. I swear. Um, it was just, I got derailed by her death and all the, um, fallout from that. So yeah. Yeah. Have a good Saturday, everybody. And, um, I'll see you.